Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. And we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. Congratulations, dude. <laughs> For what? <laughs> I don't know if they want me to say. Oh, I know. You know. Congratulations. <laughs> Did I say it wrong? I said it wrong. <laughs> oh, well, the sentiment is there. <laughs> to be fair, I don't actually know how I said it. Just words came out of my mouth, so I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing Across a Moonlit Sea by Marsha Canham. Pirate Simon Dante must decide if there is honor among thieves when he and the remainder of his crew are offered rescue after being left for dead on the wide open seas. Pilot Beau Spence doesn't trust Dante after he repeatedly threatens to harm her. Imagine that. Can these two suspicious seafarers put their cynicism aside to find love and booty? Content warning for threats of rape and castration. There will be spoilers beyond this point. So, Erica, what's your opinion of Dante when we kind of first meet him? Like, in those first several chapters. (laughs) Why? (laughs) I can ask you a different question if you prefer. No, that's my opinion. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Sorry. I'm answering. Oh. Uh, okay. Maybe I'm just not a pirate girl after all. So two pirates are stranded on a desert island. Sort of. <laughs> One of them is our hero, Simon Dante. Grumpy, monstrously tall French count, who's also English. He's got a lot going on. <laughs> he does. And Victor Bloodstone, who is equally grumpy, less tall. They made a point to say that in this Decidedly less pirate, allegedly. Yeah. And Dante and Bloodstone don't get along. They don't like each other. They started out um, having to work together on this particular mission. And they ended up being successful. And they scored a a ton of booty. And then they weathered a week-long storm. And so they're on this island getting ready to make repairs when they see six Spanish boats off in the distance. And it's like a whoa shit moment. Because (laughs) while both their ships are massively decked out with special guns that are unique, uniquely designed by Dante's, what is he called? Gunmaster? Sure. The Boom Boom oh, Man. I'm find what he's called. That's going to bother me. Oh, it's just deteriorating so quickly. I'm just going to say his uh, second in command. They're uniquely designed. Oh, by his chief gunner. There you go. Uh, Jeffrey Pitt. <laughs> Both these ships could totally take all six of the Spanish ships. Probably just one of them against six and be fine under normal circumstances, but because they're so weather-beaten, they're kind of hurting right now. Dante has the brilliant plan of, I will take my crew and we will go draw their fire and their focus. And as we're doing that, you can bring your ship up in the back of them and kick their butts, essentially. 
Yeah, because, I mean, Dante appreciates that his ship is in a bit of a pickle, and they've already seen him, and so they're like, okay, let's give them a false sense of security, and then, you know, ambush. And they do. So Dante has all his stuff, like all his all his gold and treasures and stuff that he got on this mission offloaded onto the island, all his extra food and everything. They put a makeshift patch on the hull of his ship and he and his crew go to draw the fire of these, these Spanish ships with the understanding that Bloodstone is going to take his crew and do his part. And Dante's crew includes not only Chief Gunner Pitt, but also... We later find out his name is Lucifer, but he is a freed slave who is extremely tall and wears only a loincloth and has two scimitars that he uses to fight with hand to hand. And he has a traditional greeting to the enemy. (laughs) Sure, we'll go with that. Where he stands, (laughs) he climbs up. Into the shrouds, which I don't know what part of the boat that is, and pees in the direction of the approaching vessels. <laughs> the author describes this in the prologue as his traditional greeting. And throughout the book, whenever they have battle, she makes sure to write about how he pisses at them first. <laughs> like it's a thing. <laughs> I know this is going to sound weird. <laughs> And that's okay, because I know I'm weird, so it's fine. I accept this. Like, I love that weird sort of attention to detail about a character. Like, just that weird stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not that specifically. But, like... Uh, Yeah, do you feel like that gave you some some intimate knowledge of this character, Em? It kind of did, like, the psychology (laughs) of that character to be... Like, that's what he wants to do, you know, is basically, like, I don't know, pre-mark his territory or whatever sort of dominance thing (laughs) or, like, fire himself up by relieving his bladder. I mean, everybody's got, you know, their before they go on stage things that they do. I just, yeah. I love weird. It works. I dig it. Yeah. Oh, I should probably mention the time period. So this story is set like in the late 1500s during the time of Queen Elizabeth I, FYI. Yes. Golden age of piracy. Yes. Okay, so Dante is kicking butt and taking names, but he's not kicking as much butt as he would like. And he keeps waiting for Bloodstone's ship to show up. And when his ship finally does show up, it just keeps going right on past in the opposite direction. Any minute now, fucker. Because Bloodstone's an asshole. Yup. <laughs> the, the fight goes badly for him and his crew. His boat is severely damaged. Devastated. I love how she wrote the battle. What did you like about it? <laughs> this is gonna make me sound so morbid. But the like attention to detail with the violence. Oh yeah. I appreciated that. I really felt like I was there. Yeah, she does have very vivid uh, passages about all the battles. And 
it feels like she she understands like the way these ships work and she has like a knowledge of totally. you know that point in history to an extent the author writes about these things using you know the correct language in such a way that a lay person can still understand it i think although i did google like the different types of ships to make sure i could picture the right ones yeah i did a bit of googling myself which i normally don't mind that and i didn't this time no i don't mind it at all i mean in a case like this it feels fine yeah i totally agree having a writer that writes in their world so comfortably i like that you use the word comfortable there because it really does feel that way it feels like this author has done or did do enough research and has enough knowledge about the subject matter to just write about it in a very comfortable way I like that. That makes sense. I think that's probably one of the reasons like I enjoyed so much of just them being on the ship, whether or not they were getting in a scuffle or whatever. It was a nice little escape. When we next see Dante, we don't actually see him. We see his ship and it looks almost like a ghost ship. Just a battered, devastated, sinking mess. Yeah, because the, was it Egret? The ship that, that finds them. When they come upon them, like, they see this essentially sinking ship. Like, it's in the process of slowly sinking. It comes at them, like, out of the fog. It's very spooky. I really dug it. Yeah, and they seem kind of creeped out by it, too. And they're a little, like, nervous. Like, what kind of boat is this? (laughs) I mean, not only did it look like a freaky ghost ship, but, I mean, during this time period, you didn't necessarily want to see other boats on the water as you were shipping along. No. You know, yeah. you're like, oh, potential danger. Bad. <laughs> exactly. Away. And I mean, this particular ship, the, <laughs> the Egret is a merchant ship. They're not built for any kind of fight, really. Right. It's a good ship. It handles really well. And they do have, you know, defensive weaponry and such. But yeah, they're they're not built to do battle. No, not like the Virago, which is um, Dante's ship. But Captain Spence um, decides, okay, well, we're going to board the ship and see if there's anyone on there, see if they need help. Because he's a good guy. And so they do. Among the people who join him on boarding the ship is his daughter, Bo Spence, whose full name is Isabeau. And she has been part of his crew for eight years, ever since she was 12. I think. Yeah, some somewhere there. And but... he tried to leave her at home and she refused to stay at home. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I stay home when I could be a pirate? Bo is very similar to her father. She loves being on the water. She loves um, what she does. She does not want to be a landlubber. She does not want to be a lady. She's the only woman on the ship. And again, I mean, this is very unusual. And she's treated... Pretty much like one of the crew. Almost like how I'd imagine like the son of the captain would be treated even during this time. Part of the reason she's treated that way is because she's worked a million times harder than any of the other people to make sure that they have no reason to fault her for being a woman. Yeah. And another reason they treat her like this is because when someone tried to press his suit shall we say she literally castrated him (laughs) i shouldn't laugh genital mutilation is not funny and yet i find myself chuckling i don't know i guess it's because she was defending herself yes this particular part of of the story where they talk about 
her castrating the guy who I presumably was going to rape her. I mean, yeah, sure. Yes. <laughs> Castrate the would-be rapist, yes. right? There are other parts throughout the story where it's treated like it's a joke. Oh, watch out, she'll she'll get you type yeah. of thing. And that's not as good. <laughs> no. The goodness is less. She's very talented, though. She's the ship's navigator and pilot, and she's also a very famous cartographer, even, um, known as the Black Swan. So when they board the ship, they get approached by, by Dante, who looks tall and monstrous and scary still, but also kind of gaunt and hungry and sickly. <laughs> kind of like someone who's been stranded in the middle of the ocean for, you know, a while with very little food and water. And also an injury. Yeah, I kind of felt a little bit like for as long as they were stranded, they shouldn't have had as much energy as they did. Which, I don't know how long it takes to sink a boat, but weeks? You know, that seemed a little peculiar to me. You know, sort of like one not-so-great ship taking on six normal ships and coming out of it okay. Like, that seemed a little because hero or because pirate hero, to be specific. I was sort of <laughs> expecting Dante at a certain point to be like, yeah, we kind of lied about being out here for two weeks. Because I could see, you know, wanting to appear more helpless <laughs> initially to get them aboard, to get aid, to get stuff. Well, they'd been pumping out the water, though. Yeah, maybe that's why. But, like, once you have lulled them into false sense of security, be like, ha ha ha, pirate. I am actually better than you thought. That would make more sense. Yeah. You know, I do want to talk about, like, the one ship against six ships thing, because I feel like the author does does make it believable in this case because she talks about how the range of the guns mm. of Dante's ship is much higher and also the maneuverability and also the positions from which she can fire versus the other yeah. ships. So it sounded like, to me, like Dante's ship was more versatile and more powerful. And it's not the same as like one guy against six guys jumping on well, him. no. You know, because it's from a distance and he's... Versus a sniper. It's like one guy shooting a bunch of guys with knives. Yeah. I mean, eventually they could swarm him or whatever, but he could still get in some really good shots. As far as the two weeks part goes, it did seem like a long time, um, especially since they did leave, like, the bulk of their food and water on the island and weren't able to go back for it. Because Bloodstone took all his shit with him. Yep. Good guy, that Bloodstone. Yeah, I guess they weren't starving to death because fish, I suppose. Maybe? But fresh water. I mean, they do talk about how they're, like, licking dew off of things. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think you can't go more than three days without water. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, what, like, three hours without shelter, three days without water, three weeks without food or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah, I kind of have a little bit of disbelief there along with you on that particular time frame. But the the six on one ship thing made sense to me. I mean, again, I don't know ships, so maybe. And she clearly did. As a landlubber. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't hit my my bell like as far as, oh, that doesn't seem right. I didn't not enjoy it. It was just something that went, huh. 
And it's fair to bring it up. And, you know, it's it's romance fantasy, so you give the story a break. I mean, there is a lot of because hero in this book. There is. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you're not wrong. It, it's... <laughs> Yeah, I guess, like, I knew we've had that discussion before, like, with, I think it was the alien romance that we read, where you're like, well, it's an alien culture. And I think, for me, it's like, okay, I'll give more of a leeway for pirates. (laughs) Doesn't mean I still don't see it. Yeah, that's Although there is one point, which we will get to, that did get under my skin, and I don't know if I was able to claw it out, really. All right, well, we'll we'll get there. I'm very intrigued. I don't think you're that intrigued. I think you know. At any rate, Captain Spence and his crew board the ship, or part of his crew boards the ship. They're approached by Dante, who has an injury on his leg, but is otherwise still impressive, even though he looks hungry and thirsty. They kind of introduce each other. They're very cautious. And then Dante's basically like, yeah, so I'm going to load all my special guns onto your ship. Whether you like it or not. (laughs) Thanks. Part of the reason they're so cautious is because Dante has a reputation. Like when they find out who he is, they're like, oh, he's the pirate (laughs) wolf. Oh, no. Crap. (laughs) There's almost like a, a level of like hero worship. I think the story is very gallant and mesmerizing. Pirate wolf sailing the seven seas, etc. While he's telling Spence, okay, well... We're going to put our guns on your ship. Bo just can't keep her mouth shut. And up until this point, Dante has completely disregarded her. He thinks she's just a ship boy. And he's talking about like, well, my ship is so awesome and carries these massive guns and your ship will do fine with it. Blah, blah, blah. And he says, these demi cannon fire 30 pounds, 1400 yards with enough power behind them to blast any ship clear out of the water. And Bo says, any ship except the one that found you. Which is a mistake because he is immediately pissed off because he is very protective of his ship. He's a little raw. <laughs> he tries to intimidate her. He's like, did you say something to me, boy? <laughs> and she's like, as a matter of fact, yes, your guns suck, <laughs> essentially. She doesn't back down. No, she really doesn't. I love her for it. He grabs her by the neck, basically strangling her with one hand holding her up by her neck her toes are barely touching her thing to do yeah he's like laying into her it wasn't one ship it was six ships and blah 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 excuse 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 (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile Bo is like basically you know every depiction you've ever seen of someone being strangle held that way clutching at the hand and kicking and gasping and turning purple not having a good time And then Pitt notices that she has boobs (laughs) and says, let go of her. It's a woman. And he's like, oh, and he opens his hand and drops her. Better than tightening his grip? I don't know. (laughs) I guess. And then Pitt tries to make excuses for Dante. He's like, yeah, the captain isn't quite himself. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, to make a long story short. They argue about whether or not Dante's going to get to put his guns on Spence's ship. And then Dante's like, well, I'm going to take your daughter hostage and threaten your life with my giant scimitar wielding dude. You're just going to have to deal with it. Okay. Okay. Good. Nice talking with you. 
Dante takes Bo with him into his cabin because she's his hostage to gather the stuff that's valuable in there, like all the maps and things, like all the papers that he took from that from that mission that he was on. Because a lot of it is like stuff that was specifically from the Spanish king that he's hoping will have some sort of message as to whether he's planning war against England. And so he wants to keep all that stuff. Isn't that where he threatens to rape her? Yeah, that's the point where he threatens to rape yeah. her. Let's talk about <laughs> that. Because before they went down there, like, they, they kept going back and forth, like, he chokes her, she makes his balls bleed, they keep trying to one-up one another. Yeah, they do. This is totally a because pirate hero moment, but, like, in pretty short order seems to get Spence's crew on his on his side, on Dante's side. I don't understand why they keep saying the crew was so loyal to Spence, because they turned real quick. I think there is, like, there's that level of hero worship there. Like, oh, we want to be pirates, too. You know, it was very weird. Yeah, it was almost more of that than, like, oh, we don't want them to kill Bo. It's okay, she's badass, she'll take care of herself. I mean, it's another one of those, like, oh, she can defend herself against any man except the hero. I mean, she even finds a gun that he left on the desk in his cabin and tries to shoot him with it. Turns out... He left it there as like a trap to test her because he he made it useless and then left it on the desk. Yeah. My question is, did he make it useless before he put it to her head when they were on the deck of the ship before they went down there? Or is it as they were going down there that he made it useless? No. It was functional when he pointed it at her head. Yeah, I think he pointed a live gun at her head. I have mixed feelings about that. Like, on one hand, I appreciate that he's been through a lot recently. (laughs) Being left for dead on the open sea kind of warps one's point of view. And I can understand why he wouldn't, like, give a shit about, like, anybody else. So to a certain extent, I understand that. He cares more about his guns. What I have a real hard time with is the threat of rape. Right. Because after she threatens to shoot him, or after she she doesn't threaten, after she tries and fails to shoot him. Yeah, she legit tries. I love her. Yeah, he grabs her and holds her down on the desk and, like, goes up between her legs. He's lewd and crude. Pirate dude. Oh, God. Why did I say that? It kind of feels like he's like, well, you need to chill out or I'm going to rape you. Like, that kind of seems like what it was wrong tactic dude and he's like holding her down he's between her legs his dick's getting hard she can tell and then he's like oh is there something you'd like me to do uh choke and die (laughs) yeah i mean that's just my personal preference and then right after that you know after they reach their quote understanding he's like oh you're surprisingly tempting i don't suppose i could interest you in a small skirmish of another nature so then he fucking propositions Uh, her again fuck off and die he's like so i'm not gonna rape you but (laughs) you want to fuck can't really say i'm turned on at this moment buddy and she (laughs) says no get off me and he does after she gives her word that she's not going to try any more of her quote tricks Uh. yeah I don't know. He's into her at this point. He likes a feisty lady. Well, of course. He named his ship Virago. 
Which means, because I googled it, domineering, violent, or bad-tempered woman. Archaic Latin. A woman of masculine strength or spirit. A female warrior. Heroic woman. Oh, hey. I didn't google that. That's good to know. That makes sense. Me think he doth protest too much. (laughs) Badass bitch. Yes. That's what he named his ship. I kind of want to, like, change out, like, heroin for Virago. <laughs> we need some more badass bitches. Yeah, I just, I mean, hero technically is non gender specific, but I don't know. I kind of dig it. Okay. The transfer is complete. The guns are on the egret. The crew has been transferred over. And nominally, Spence is still captain ish. Yeah. Basically, because Dante lets him. Yeah. But they uh, make nice pretty quickly they do. because. Right after, like, all that is getting boarded, one of the cannons came loose and almost killed one of uh, Spence's guys. Dante saves him. Look, he's not all bad. (laughs) So they're like, oh, okay then. And then they notice, like, everyone notices that Dante is hurt. Because while he, you know, leapt to this dude's aid, he's still got leg issues. And he's like... It's fine. But Pitt is like, no, it's not fine. Do you guys have a doctor or anything on board? Spence is kind of like, well, we have a cook who can set bones and we have a sailmaker who can sew you up. Sounds about right. (laughs) Dante's like, tis but a flesh wound. And then Bo interjects because she has to. And she's like, no, it's not. It's actually really bad. And then Dante's like, yeah, what is your problem? Like, what do you do here? Who are you (laughs) to even talk to me? But instead of answering him, she slices his hose to show off his leg. And she's like, yep, look, there's something in there. I can tell. And then Pitt says, can you get it out? And Bo's like, no, I'm not a doctor. It might have to get cut out. And Dante's like, no, you are not (laughs) touching me. And I don't know if it's because she's a woman or just because, you know, she's tried to kill him several times. Havesies. But at any rate, she totally disregards this, stabs the wound with her knife, (laughs) and digs around and pulls out a sliver of wood. (laughs) And I love this part. I highlighted this part. Christ Jesus, Dante spat. You enjoyed that, didn't you? No, she replied, but I am going to enjoy this. She flicked the bloody sliver to the deck and bent over the wound again. There was fresh blood welling to fill the hole in the muscle, and with a few efficient strokes, she cut away the old scabbing and squeezed the swollen flesh until the pustules were all drained and the blood ran clear red. (laughs) Well, yeah, cleans it out. (laughs) (laughs) And then they give him some alcohol to dull the pain. After she cuts away all the dead flesh. That was great. Yeah, the timing of that probably should have been different, but whatever. He threatened rape. (laughs) I'd feel bad, but I just can't seem to muster it. But then after he has a nice drink, he's really happy now. Well, sort of, because it burns like hell going down. So much so that he forgets about the pain in his leg. And he basically challenges Bo, like, oh, I'm sure you drink this like water, don't you? And she's all, yep, I do. And she has a drink. (laughs) I really enjoyed that scene. 
like the whole introduction, the meet cute, as it were, of Bo and Dante, because the whole time I was picturing you <laughs> gleefully laughing. I did. I laughed gleefully a lot. I enjoyed a lot of the book. <laughs> I know it seems like possibly I don't do to my... Yeah picking on Dante but whatever he's got broad shoulders he can carry it and he's fictional at one point I think it's that same day but they're having dinner and it's at that point that Dante um, is told Bo's job on the ship which is the navigator and pilot and he's just flabbergasted that a woman could do all this it kind of blows his tiny mind strap the TNT on and yeah I really wish I could do better blowing up sound effects. I'm not very good at that. And then Bo loses her cabin to Dante. So her dad is like, yeah, since she's the only woman on board, we split my cabin into two so she could have her own private space. But I'm not going to let you sleep in a hammock like the other dudes. You can have her cabin and she can sleep in a closet. To be fair, I think Dante was like, no, no, you don't have to do that. But Spence insisted. Yeah, Spence insisted. And then Dante accepted. No, no, I can't. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Are you sure? Your countenance is showing. Bo is still pissed at him because not only did he threaten her, with harm multiple times both her life and her body just in general he -hmm. also threatened her father he also turned her father's ship into a warship basically and she's she's telling him all about it she's telling him all about all her grievances and then he kisses her. So we get a ravishing here. That kiss was so awkward. It was gross. It was not a sexy kiss. No, but I also think given where those characters are in that moment, it felt appropriate, you know, to be. Yeah, off. I don't know. It kind of seemed victim blamey to me. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Because he he grabs her by the head and he, the, the words are brutally crushing her lips beneath his, right? Yeah. She's pissed off the whole time they're kissing. And when he decides to stop kissing her, they pull away. She wrenches free and she says, how dare you? And he says, I dared because you challenged me to. And she says, I did not. And he says, you most certainly did with those big brassy eyes and that lovely luscious pout of a mouth. I mean, ew. Oh, yeah. I thought you were hot. Therefore, you you were daring me to kiss you. Yeah, no, you're completely right. It's very victim blaming. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, and I I mean, so many times in these romancy fantasy historical things, it's like, oh, the guy will kiss her, and then she'll just melt into his embrace and the kiss, and you know, essentially yeah. she's persuaded. But I like that that didn't happen. No, she is. Even more pissed off at him now. Yes, it increased her anger, not to mention when we cue back to her a little bit later in the story, like after this moment has happened, she's not in the middle of her her duties going, oh my god, that kiss. She does not think wistfully upon it. In fact, I don't even think she mentions it. She's still pissed at him. No, I mean, if, and this isn't in the text at all. But I imagine if she at any point thought about that kiss, it'd be like, oh my god, that asshole. I hate yeah, him. Yeah, I think, if, her, <laughs> if I'm remembering the kiss correctly at all, like, she actually opened her mouth to, like, either protest or scream or something, like, to call out or whatever it was. And, like, he then shoves his tongue in. Yes. Dude. 
I'm rooting for you, but you are not helping. I don't root for characters just willy-nilly, but I I sort of feel like I can't root for you anymore. You're being a freaking ass. So at some point after this happens, he finds out that she's also the Black Swan, the famous cartographer. And this raises her in his esteem a bit. I would say. And oh, yeah. he even asks her, like, oh, where did you apprentice? And she's like, nope, I'm self-taught. And he's like, oh, wow. Like, he's really impressed by this. Which I kind of, I liked that his esteem, because, I mean, it did, even though I don't like it, it made sense that he'd be like, eh, woman, ew, why are you on a boat? Why do you have a job? Ew. But he slowly gets introduced to who she is and what she can do. And he's just like, oh, all right, I was wrong. You're actually pretty awesome. You're badass. Yeah, his opinion of her changes and, you know, also her opinion of him changes. Like, it's not until it felt like a significant time later after they meet that they really see each other in a more positive light. And, of course, she's the last one to, quote unquote, sit down at that table because she is by far the more aggrieved party. Like, she's got more reason to look at him and find him repellent. I would say, like, her opinion of him changes to be more understanding after she finds out about his wife. Yeah. Because he was married. I think it was an arranged marriage. Then he went off to sea, and his wife had affairs right and left and had two children while she was married to him with different dudes. Yeah. And he eventually was able to divorce her. But since then, he he basically has thrown all of himself into being on the sea. You know, he's like, well, screw courtly life. Yeah, he, he had a real violent streak, because if I remember correctly, like, he goes after those dudes. Yeah, I think he does. I think kills them and then sends her the part that she loved the most. Yes, he did. So. Which is fitting for his character. Oh, it is. Yeah. No, it is. <laughs> There's a lot of um, cutting (laughs) off of male genitals in this book. Yeah. Like a lot. (laughs) There is. More than I would have expected prior to reading it. You know what's funny is I put in my notes, um, like, why is castration a pirate thing? Because our very first episode, we read a, a pirate book with a much different tone. And castration was in that book, too. Right. Oh, my gosh. I totally forgot about that. Is it a pirate thing? (laughs) Is this just a thing? Like, real world? Historically, no. But (laughs) maybe it's a weird romance pirate kink thing? I fucking, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, to each his own. I don't know. (laughs) So, I mean, so often in these books, there is violence against women and, and to a much lesser extent, violence against men. And it seems like castration is what people turn to. Well, yeah. And it's also the types of violence too, right? You know, there's bar brawls. There's, you know, just in general, like there's types of fighting that they get in in battles and things like that, which is still violence against another person, but it's viewed differently. It's not sexual related. Well, a lot of violence in romance stories seems to be sexual in nature. And I just wonder if it's because of the genre, because there's sex in it. Maybe, I mean... Oh, this is a book with sex, therefore we can have sexual violence, too. While they're having, like, this heart-to-heart, and he's, like, telling her about his history and how he has no use for 
court or marriage or anything like that, he asks her, well, what about you? Why aren't you, you know, into womanly stuff? Being a little woman. Yeah. And she's just like, ew, no. Yuck. No, thank you. (laughs) He's like, what? You have no brothers or sisters or husband or plans to have a husband and she's like it is doubtful a husband would be content to sit at home by the hearth fire while i sailed away to sea (laughs) this is true but she notices him looking at her kind of appreciatively a sexual sort of way she's not as repulsed by it at this point so i feel like this is the the scene that makes her start to change her mind her head was turning in that direction from pretty early on when they first met because she noticed all the scars on his back from the cat and nine tails speaking of cats there is a cat in this book his name is clarence but we get very little cat time much to my chagrin (laughs) that's true there is a cat Dante has scars on his back because he was a galley slave for seven months and was lashed all the time daily yup And we find out that's how he met Lucifer. Dante rescued Lucifer and then Lucifer rescued Dante. So it was kind of cool. Yeah, they seem to have a good buddy friendship. Yeah, Lucifer kind of has like this extreme loyalty to Dante personally and no one else. He dislikes the English, but he dislikes the Spanish slightly more. Because didn't they murder his wife and children through slavery? Yeah, they murdered his whole family and cut out his tongue. Right. So at some point... They see another ship off in the distance, and it's a Spanish ship. And Dante's like, oh, hey, we could take that ship down. Let's do it. Because Spence and his crew, they're less, I mean, they're merchants. You know, it's a merchant vessel. They have no interest in fighting. They didn't really do the piracy gig. But Dante's like, no, you got my cool guns now. It'll be fine. Look, a Spanish ship. Let's go blow it up. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) And, oh, yeah, there might be papers that we could use to, like, you know, help the English government, help the queen. But, you know, shiny? He's in need of some shiny. I think Spence is even fairly easily convinced. I think everyone at this point. Except Bo. Has kind of bought into, like, the gloriousness of piracy. She's like, um, we're not built for this. I don't know how I feel about, like, commandeering a vessel and all of that. But... Once they do attack the other ship, she's excellent at piloting, you know, making the boat do what it needs to do. This is very impressive to Dante, of course. So they're doing really good in this fight. And then a cannonball comes over the edge of their ship and strikes Spence on the leg and blows him off his feet and blows his leg completely out from under him. Like it's gone now. And he hits his head on the mast. Bo freaks out. She leaves the rudder to go check on her dad. And Dante's a little surprised that Spence isn't like bleeding all over the place. Because he thought Spence had two legs. But it turns out he only had one. (laughs) This whole time he's been on a peg leg. And he's been able to walk so successfully that he just looked like a dude with a limp instead of a dude missing a leg. But in the moment that Bo abandons her post, the guy who 
who's taking her place isn't as good. So then when Bo goes back to her post, Dante kind of just immediately takes over for Spence as captain just in the moment. The guy at the rudder, like he physically can't do it himself. Like there has to be another person there, I think. But... They end up taking over the ship. Ship, ship, hooray. The ship waves its flag. It's like, no, stop hurting us. We don't want to be blowed up no more. Bo is even kind of caught up in the moment. She's all, did we really do it? And Dante kisses her. And this is like, I would say like a kiss of celebration instead of like a kiss of domination. So it's less gross. It really was like a yay, we survived doing this risky maneuver. Although it still kind of is gross to me because the last time he kissed her, it was the yucky kiss. Yeah. So they board the other ship. Dante pretends that he is Spence. There's a ton of awesome stuff on this ship because it is a treasure vessel. Yay, lots of shinies. They literally couldn't take all the shinies. There were lots of them. Yeah, they took all the gold and sunk the silver. (laughs) And then Dante apologizes to Bo for taking over command. Like he kind of recognizes that it really should have gone to her. And she's like, no, it's fine because I've never been in battle before. Yeah, he is capable of apology. But I did appreciate and I think Bo did too the way that he recognized that he overstepped and apologized for it. So that part was Yeah, it was. I think this is the point where Bo starts having, if not feelings, at least like greater physical attraction to him because her hands are all raw. From the rope. It burns. It burns. And he helps her care for her hands and soak them in salt water and wrap them up and make them feel better. And he tells her how awesome she is and how well she did. And yay, you did a good job. Yeah, the the B side is showing up. (laughs) Yes, the B side. And she's appreciating it. Yeah, and then they board the ship, right? And have the the showdown with with the captain. And like when they saw the ship before, like Dante had noticed like, hey, there's a gold flag up there, which means someone royal related is on the ship. Let us ferret them out. And it turns out it's a Spanish duchess. Pitt is immediately smitten with the duchess. He's like, oh, she's afraid. He wants to make sure she doesn't feel afraid. And of course she has escorts because she must have caretakers. And Dante is like, okay, well, we're going to take all your cool stuff. We're going to take all your papers and your maps and your letters and your gold. We're going to sink your silver. We're going to take your duchess and keep her as a hostage. And it's going to be great. Sucks to be you guys. (laughs) Basically. The captain of the other vessel. Yeah, the Spanish captain. Shoots at Dante. Bo pushes him out of the way and the bullet grazes her temple. Which, ow. Bloody ow. Yes, very ow. And Dante blows his head off with a gun. And of course, when she comes to, she's in his arms and he's all concerned. There are several parts in the story where she does something that risks her life and he like feels like shaking her. He doesn't, but he wants to. It's very scary to me. I don't know. He's a very violent person. He is. I mean, it's a violent world, but he doesn't do it. And I appreciate the not doing it because not every hero falls in that category. Unfortunately, that's true. And I mean, she's violent too. She's not quite as bloodthirsty violent, but she's also violent. Yeah, but he's twice her size. She's at a physical disadvantage. When I'm saying like he's violent, I just mean in general. Yes, of course. Early on when he was violent, 
violent in her direction. Threatening. Like, yeah. yes, that's worse. Because she was obviously more threatened by him than he was of her. It's like he almost thinks it's cute. Yes. Which is so freaking irritating. We were talking about that earlier because when we were discussing the the content warnings, the threat of rape, threat of mm-hmm. castration. Oh, yeah, he threatened her with rape. But we both sort of decided, like, he wasn't actually going to do it. That doesn't negate no the egregious act of the threat but we just felt like okay he actually wouldn't have done it however she literally would have castrated him yeah i, I agree. mean she did make his balls bleed because lucifer cut her father i think the thing is is that is that we're ju- we gotta judge their actions not their thoughts he wants to shake her he thinks about shaking her but he doesn't actually yeah. so i guess props to him but it's still gross I'm not saying he should be getting a medal. Everyone in this story does take violence as a matter of course. They just, it's just part of their world. It's not, not something they don't expect. Yeah. It's sort of the flavor of that Winston Churchill hooker joke. Like we've established that violence is a thing. It's just to what degree. Although with the Winston Churchill hooker thing, it was the cost. We've already established what kind of woman you are. We're just dickering on price. Um, okay, so at this point, Bo and her dad have a heart-to-heart. They talk about Bo's mother a bit. Spence can kind of tell that Bo has something on her mind, and she kind of tries to explain, like, how she feels about Dante. Like, he pisses me off, but other times, I'm into it. Yes. The fires are flamed, it's just sometimes I'm into the heat. And Spence almost seems a little bit awkward, but then he's like, uh... (laughs) Okay, it's probably just the itch, right? (laughs) He says, you know, I'm not good at giving advice on such things. For a man, it's different. He sees something he wants. He takes his ease and walks away with a clear head in the morning. For a lass, well, what kind of father tells his daughter to go scratch an itch if she's got it? A progressive one. (laughs) And then he says, you're not a virgin for pity's sake. You must know what I mean. So he's like, basically like, yeah, I think you're just hot for him. Mm hmm. You should just go scratch that itch if you she want to. have a quote-unquote girlfriend she can talk to. I kind of appreciated this scene because it kind of lets you see, like, how the dad feels about her. Yeah. That he treats her like she's her own person. She's not, you know, a little woman that needs to be protected or whatever. He's like, well, this is probably what your problem is. And if I were you, this is what I would do. Yeah. And yeah, he's awkward about it, but how many parents wouldn't be, (laughs) even nowadays? (laughs) I imagine quite a few. Especially with your opposite gendered child, I think. (laughs) Oh, but it is funny, though, because they talk a little bit about her first first sexual encounter, um, or her first relationship, I guess, who was a guy who basically loved her and left her. You know, that's who she lost her virginity to. She wanted more, but he didn't. I like this part, though, (laughs) because her dad's like, oh, you can't judge every man by that dude. You know, he's a jerk. And then she's all, are you telling me I should keep the door to my cabin open all the time? (laughs) And he says, I'm not telling you in any shape or form to go out and jump on every man who waves his nethers at you. (laughs) But I am saying it's a hard life you've chosen for yourself. And sometimes you just have to take your pleasure where you can find it. Mm-hmm. And then he says, your mother would have my bollocks for earrings for telling you such things. It's like, oh my god, castration again. <laughs> Not to mention the visual image. Gross. Yep. 
After her talk with her dad, she runs into Dante, and you can tell the sexual tension is building. She kind of is worried about her fate, though, now that she's, you know, engaged in piracy. What's going to happen? And Dante, I think, tries to reassure her, like, you have so much gold. The queen's going to be way, way happier with her share of all the stuff that you found and looted that she's not going to care. It'll be fine. Plus, we have the Duchess, you know, we're going to trade her for a large sum of money. It's going to be great. And then they bid each other good night. But then she's getting ready to go to bed. She decides, wait, I need, I need my charts. And they're in my room that is actually now Dante's room. So I'm going to go sneak in there and get them. Dante's not in there at this point. And so while she's in the cabin, she kind of gets a little distracted. She goes out. Like her cabin has, I forget what it's called, but it's basically like a balcony. Oh, it's called the gallery. So she goes out on the gallery to get some fresh air. And as she's out there, Dante comes in and he doesn't know she's in his room. And so he's getting ready for bed. You know, he's stripping off. He's washing himself. He's massaging oil into his body. She's watching this. She's into it. And then she comes in. And it freaks him out because at first, you know, ah, intruder, I'm going to kill you. And then he realizes it's her. Yay, intruder, I will dance for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, intruder. <laughs> I mean, she already saw his full naked body earlier when he was asleep and she started shaving him. I mean, not that that, I mean. Shaving his face. Yes. Yeah, I guess it's because it would be good to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> there are options. <laughs> but she's like oh no no i'm not intruding i was just trying to get my my maps and stuff and then i kind of forgot that this wasn't my room anymore and i went out on the gallery and then i realized it wasn't my room anymore still <laughs> oops sorry i'll just go now he blocks her as she's getting ready to go and he goes not just yet and she says, I hope you're not thinking of kissing me. And he says, I think it's only a fair exchange for watching me strip naked. <laughs> Interesting exchange rate. He starts, like, searching her for weapons. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, she's hidden quite a few through the course of the story. <laughs> she asks him what he's doing and he says, following your father's advice, he warned me to search you ten ways to Sunday and even then not to turn my back on you. <laughs> <laughs> it's very sexy you know he's like touching her and stroking her and she's like if you're going to kiss me can you just do it and be done <laughs> and so then he does it becomes pretty intense pretty quickly and she tells him to stop and he says why because <laughs> i said isn't a valid reason awesome what did you think about this whole scene because it starts out like they're making out it's hot and heavy she goes stop 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 he's like but you want me and i want you so we should do this and she's like no stop and he does stop yay and then he says if this isn't what you want then you better leave and then he tells her if you decide to stay i won't be able to stop again and she does decide to stay and they have sex and it's awesome of course but what i don't know what do you think about this scene? I think, you know, since she got injured, saving his ass, his attitude towards her has changed, right? Because from that first scene where he, you know, is lewd to her, 
and threatens rape and all of that. I think she tells him to stop and he's just like, yeah, whatever. He keeps going until he feels like his quote unquote point has been made. Right? But this time when she's like, no, no, stop. He actually does. I don't know if it's necessarily to to say like, this is your one get out of jail free card. But I don't know. I mean, they're communicating better. So yay. He's not necessarily trying to force her or force himself at her, which was sort of what's been happening up until this point. So it's growth. (laughs) Yeah. It's change. There's still a lot of consent issues in this scene because... He presses his suit and she's like, no, no, stop, stop, stop. And he's like trying to convince her without stopping first. And then he stops. And then he's like, okay, well, leave then if that's what you want to do. But then when she doesn't leave, he then is like, I won't be able to stop again. And that's just like, I don't know. I mean, come on, dude. You can control yourself. You could stop again if you have to. It's the whole men are beasts and they can't control themselves. Yeah. That's the part that really gets to me. I think, and I, I and I get it. I mean, part of it can be the fantasy, like the idea that a man is so overcome with, with you that he can't help himself. You know, I mean, if you want it, then right. it's sexy, right? But I do want him to be able to help himself. <laughs> like at the end of the day. So so that's not part of your, <laughs> your romance experience that you want, you know, in your fantasy. <laughs> I guess, I guess it's just, okay, I like the idea Like, oh, he's so overcome and, oh, he can't help himself, but he holds himself back anyway. Like, that to me seems sexier. Well, it seems like it's, I could see where that would be a more romantic gesture, too, because it's putting the other person's needs before their own versus the I can't control myself selfish thing, basically. Right. And there's, there's the whole consent piece, too, because at any point, I mean, if you're no longer having fun, you can withdraw consent and it should be fine. The other person mm-hmm. should stop. Yep, yep. And he's basically telling her, like, nope, nope, if you stay, that's your that's your consent. Yeah. It ends up working out fine for her because she likes it. There's tons of instances like that in romance. It's always like the, oh, yeah. just in case you thought she was uncomfortable with this, the writer will sometimes literally tell you, no, no, she's into it. It's fine. And a lot of times that happens when a story is told right. in first person. This one wasn't. You get the the words directly from the character themselves. So it in some cases, it feels like it's a shortcut. There is something about this scene that I did really appreciate, though, and it's that it moved forward the mm-hmm. story. It had, like, Bo, like, the reason she was saying, no, no, stop, stop, is because she doesn't want to be that girl. She, like, had to take a moment and actually decide for herself, okay, what am I willing to do? Give me a minute to think about it. Yeah. And then he, at the end of the act, <laughs> God, I sound so formal. The sex. After they orgasm, he's like surprised that he feels more for her than just like, oh, that was fun. Like he's actually like realizing he's into her. Yeah. Oh, wait, I have the feels. What is this? So after that wonderful, lustful night, Bo avoids him. <laughs> Which is impressive to do on a ship. He's like, yep, I'm done now. (laughs) And it really gets to him. Like he gives her her space, but he does not like it. Because he now has the feels. He's like, wait, wait, feelings. And she's like, no, no, no feelings. I bring you my heart and I run away from it. 
there's this part that I highlighted that I thought it was really interesting too, because she's so worried about her reputation on the boat. She's worried that she'll turn back into a woman, you know, in the esteem of the crew. Like if they knew that she succumbed to Dante's sexuality, you know, she'd lose all her credibility. And so that's part of the reason she's avoiding him. She's like, no one can know this happened. Which is a reasonable assumption. It is reasonable, except later in the book, the crew finds out and they're like, oh yeah, you get some. I mean, it proves to be unfounded, (laughs) but I don't think it's unreasonable. Yeah, I actually felt like it was a reasonable fear, although a a sad fear. But, you know, reasonable, especially for the time. Totally relevant for now, too. Then it seemed like so odd that it wasn't a thing. Yeah, I want it to be not a thing because, yay, she got some. And not, it's one of those things in stories where it's like, oh, you think it's going to be a thing and then it's not. I want it to not be a thing because of the reasons that I want it to not be a thing. So I'm going to keep that as my headcanon. And then the other thing that's getting to her is that she now has a lady on board the boat that she can compare herself to. And the Duchess is just, you know, very, very feminine, very small, very pretty, very, you know, obviously delicate. Bo kind of sees her as like, yep, this is what men want. Not me. And she's kind of got like a little bit of jealousy, although she doesn't really. It's odd because she likes who she is and she likes what she does. And she, you know, she likes all these things, but she also like, I think, doesn't feel like she can be a woman and be these things. Yeah, like she doesn't want to address her own femininity. And I think she's done like her very best to scrub a lot of that out of herself. And maybe that's just how she is. Maybe she's always been that way, but it seems like in a lot of ways it's purposeful you know she's working twice as hard as everyone else on the crew just so they'll take her seriously even Mm -hmm. though she's a woman and she doesn't want them to know that she's a sexual being at all partly for her safety but also you know for her credibility and then she sees another woman who looks like you know the stereotype what women should be yeah and is marriageable age because The Duchess has escorts, but they're not considered objects of of lust and affection and and whatnot. Because I think the one lady has sausage fingers and, you know, is past the age of 30. So she's thinking these thoughts. She's feeling these feelings. She decides she's going to relieve the watch up in the crow's nest for the last couple hours of the dude's shift. And she goes up there and she's just thinking. But then as she's thinking these thoughts she loses her balance and falls down out of the crow's nest and she catches like her ankle gets caught in a rope and so she's hanging upside down but slipping she's screaming (laughs) dante hears her and magically rescues her and then we get the fucking scene Mm -hmm. in the crow's nest (laughs) you're not wrong (laughs) i'm sorry i don't know if it's in the crow's nest but it's up high okay and he's got his arms wrapped around ropes She's impaled on his dick, holding on to him, and the thrusting is from the motion of the ship, the motion in the ocean, Mm -hmm. as it were. And apparently it's amazing, but it just sounds so painful and awkward and dangerous and like, why? (laughs) Why not? It's fantasy. (laughs) Why not? Uh, But they do have a nice little talk. She asks him, you know, can't you just show a little restraint? Because every time they have sex, 
he ends up ripping her clothes yeah, off. It's not like she can go to the store and, and get more. I mean, more. come on. And she's like, <laughs> can you have a little restraint, please? And he goes, I've been showing remarkable restraint this past week. You cannot know the number of times I've been tempted to haul you out of your miserable hammock again. And by the way, you never thanked me. And she's like, what for? <laughs> and he's like, for letting you enjoy a good night's sleep alone in your own bed. <laughs> Thank you for not sexually assaulting me. Thank you for showing decency. Good job, buddy. And then he says, I did not intend to force something on you that you didn't really want. I foolishly thought, like the arrogant bastard you believe me to be, I would wait until you came to me. But then they kind of reach an understanding. He says, after tonight, whether I come to you or you come to me, it will make little difference in the end. And she's like, well... Obviously, this is only a thing right now. Once we get to England, it's not going to continue to be a thing. And he's like, well, who knows what will happen. We shall see. (laughs) So I guess they basically decide, okay, we will have a sexual relationship for the rest of the trip. Yay. And they do. And it is good. So while they're having their, I don't know, it's kind of like a honeymoon, I guess. She's also helping him, like, she's witnessing him, like, pouring over these scrolls, trying to decipher this code to see what the king was planning, the Spanish king. And she ends up figuring it out because all of the messages are about harvests, stuff like that. But she realizes that it's about the boats, One of them is like a peacock and she knows one of the Spanish boats has like a peacock feather on the sail. She's very clever and observant. He's very into it. Yay. Good job, buddy. And they're excited because that means they have more stuff to tell the queen. And at this point, they come across a bunch of English warships. Turns out it's Sir Francis Drake and all his dudes heading out to war with Spain. They have a little powwow with him. Dante and Sir Francis Drake are cousins? They're by marriage, I think. They're tangentially related. Because of course they are. Dante's on first name basis, nickname basis with the Queen of England. You know, so of course he knows Drake. And then this is where we find out what Bloodstone has been saying about Dante. Like, what was the story that he's been spinning? And he's painted Dante as a (laughs) martyr. Oh, he sacrificed himself so that we would be able to survive. I am not a murderer, I am an aggressor. You know, paints <laughs> him as a hero. Drake in this book is very interesting because he's very calculating. He wants the glory. He wants to be uh, England's admiral for the upcoming war. He's worried he won't get to be because he's not of noble birth. And so one of the things he does is that he he conveniently neglects to tell Dante that Bloodstone is on one of the other boats <laughs> and will be at this meeting that they're going to. <laughs> I think it's Bo who sees the other boat and Dante recognizes it as Bloodstone's mm-hmm. ship. So he goes into this meeting knowing that he's going to be there. She gives him the advantage. Yeah, they have the little war powwow. So it's Drake and Bloodstone and Dante. And I think Spence is there also. And they're kind of deciding what should what they should do with this new information that they have about where all the ships will be. Because the information that Dante got and that Bo helped him decode has helped Drake know where all the Spanish ships are going to be. And Dante, of course, is like, oh, you should go raid Cadiz. That's the place that you should go. 
And Drake actually really likes this idea. He wants it to be his idea. He's unhappy (laughs) that it's Dante's idea. (laughs) Share, boys. Share. But it's fine. When Dante and Bloodstone meet each other, they have to (laughs) pretend to be friendly, which is really hard for both of them. Oh, look, I'm so excited to see you. Part of it, I think Dante Mm -hmm. shows great restraint because before he goes to this meeting, you know, he has a talk with Bo and he tells her that he's probably going to go to war with Drake. Drake will probably ask him to come along. So he's probably going to leave her at this point. And he's also probably going to kill Bloodstone. And Bo's like, well, I guess you can do what you want, but I think it'd be dumb for you to kill Bloodstone right yeah. now. And so he kind of takes her advice, you know, he he does still plan to kill Bloodstone. And the whole time they're in this meeting, he's like picturing killing him like millions of ways. Yes. <laughs> but then after the meeting, Bloodstone has like a, a little conversation with, I think, his first mate. And they plan to, whoopsie, Dante <laughs> fell off the boat. Darn. But it doesn't go as planned. What plans ever do, really? <laughs> yeah, they had planned to like have a part of, I forget what it's called, but part of the ship like bonk him off the plank as he's walking across from Drake's boat to Spence's boat. And instead, Lucifer caught it and bonked it back <laughs> into the other dude's face. <laughs> Lucifer is on to you. We also find out some important information about the Duchess because we learn she's actually not a Duchess. She's one of the Duchess's maids who traded places with her. The old switcheroo. It really doesn't matter except that Pitt is happy because now he can actually be with her. I think the only other real impact is, oh, she's not a pawn because she's a normal person, not royalty. She has no value politically. Okay, we kind of get to this point. Drake does ask Dante to join his war party. They loan him a ship called the Scout, which isn't a very great ship. But Dante's like, cool, I'll do it. He gets on the Scout. Some of um, Spence's crew joins him also. Like, they're like, oh, (laughs) we're going to do this too. And Spence is like, that's fine, whatever. Spence is actually kind of mad because he offered to also join the war party. And Drake was like, no, no. You are not needed. Burn. So Dante has a conversation with Bo about this and Bo is upset because she's like, I'm a much better pilot and navigator than they have on the scout. You need me. You don't have a pilot. You need me. And he's like, I want you safe in England. Now that you matter to me, I must keep you safe. It's not okay for you to attack ships for gold and... Yeah. Yeah, he starts wanting her to... I mean, it makes sense that he wants her to be safe. I mean, he shouldn't be telling her. No, I get wanting her to be safe. We always want our loved ones to be safe. It makes sense. It's the ordering and the, because I love you, that means I get to boss you around. It's it's not super bossy, I think, in this story, because he's basically like, no, you yeah. can't be on my ship. No, I mean, certainly other stories are more assertive and aggressive with it. Yeah, he's not forcing her to do anything. He's like, yes, I want you to be safe. Your wants have been... Noted. Yeah, and then in his head, it's like, I want someone to come home to. So he's in. He's all in at this point. She's really upset when he leaves, or when he's getting ready to leave, and Pitt recognizes that she's in love with Dante. I see that sparkle in your eyes. I know what that means. (laughs) And maybe he recognizes it because he's so in love with his duchess. I did like this part, though, because he says, Pitt says, 
I'm truly sorry, Bo, but when you love a man like Simon Dante, nothing is ever going to be simple again. Nothing? <laughs> she asked forlornly. <laughs> <laughs> and before he leaves, Dante tells Bo that he loves Aww. her. And she says, how am I supposed to hate you when you tell me something like that? And they kiss and she's all, I do hate you. Damn it. <laughs> and then she tries one more time to convince him, like, you need me. You need me to be your pilot. And he says, I do. I do need you, but not on the scout. It's too dangerous. And he's like talking about how he wants to keep her safe. And she's like, no one had to keep me safe until you showed up. And it's like, God kept putting me in all of these horrible situations where my life was in danger and I don't mm -hmm. know why. My creator hates me. <laughs> so at any rate, they leave and then Spence and Bo decide, you know what? We should be loyal to England and <laughs> fight in this war anyway. Let's throw in our hats. <laughs> Essentially, they're like, they can't tell us what to do. We're going to do it anyway. While Drake and his his fleet or armada or whatever you want to call it, Drake and his dudes are sailing out to meet the Spanish. Off in the very, very distant horizon, there's the egret. And Dante knows that something is following them and he suspects it's I have a Beau. sneaking suspicion and being sneaked up upon. <laughs> And he's kind of pissed uh, about it. Before the age of cell phones. <laughs> There's the big battle with the Spanish ships. It's pretty cool. Um, Dante, since he has like this smaller ship that doesn't have as much firepower as he's used to, he's using it strategically, doing distracting things, catching ships that are trying to slink You're away, sneaky. that kind of thing. Meanwhile, Bloodstone... <laughs> is still pissed that Dante's alive. And he's like, you know, things could get confusing during battle. We could potentially accidentally yeah, kill him. And when they see Dante going to engage with another ship, they take over and fire on the scout, which is just super mm -hmm. messed up. And they're basically going to die, yeah. I think, on the scout. Things are dire. Like <laughs> They're caught between Bloodstone and the shoreline, and they're being fired upon with this massive firepower. And they're doing the best they can, but not that good. But the scout, Spence, and Bo see what's going on, and they manage to to save him. I liked Me that too. that Bo rescues him with some excellent piloting. The scout ends up t-boning Bloodstone's My ship. My right? schooler is giggling at the word boning, and like ramming into it. <laughs> Don't be so juvenile. <laughs> so there's swashbuckling and sword fighting and amazingness. Um, Dante kills Bloodstone. Before he does, he's like, "What did I ever do to you?" And Bloodstone's like, "You're you're the type of dude I wish I was." <laughs> like basically, like I'm jealous. I'm jelly, therefore you must die. Kind of weird logic, but okay. There can be only one of you, and I'd prefer it was me. Yeah, Bloodstone gets cut in half. Oops. It was pretty gross. Yeah. So they win the day. We have an epilogue. Everyone's married now. Yay. I mean, that's basically it, right? I think so. Yeah. And then it's the end, question mark? Yep. 
And this is the first in a series of three more books, I believe. And it actually is a generational series. The following books are about their children. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So what did you think about this book, M? Do you have thoughts to share? I do have some thoughts to share. Overall, I really enjoyed it. I liked the high seas. I liked how immersive the world was. I really enjoyed Bo. It was a little difficult with Mr. Pirate Man. Not gonna lie. And I mean, some of it was the world too. (laughs) Like it wasn't just him. It was some of just aspects of the culture and the world and stuff like that. But for the most part, I really enjoyed it. There were some things that I wish had been tweaked in the story just a little bit. For example, when they they take over that Spanish ship and Dante uses Jonah Spence's name, it's sort of repeatedly mentioned and I thought, okay, well now the Spanish is really going to be gunning for Jonah Spence. And then that you never seems to come to the level of fruition. Maybe that's because the Duchess isn't Duchess Maria, but is Christina. Or maybe not enough time has passed. Like maybe they don't know what happened yet. Yeah. I mean, I I understand why the thing with Bloodstone has to be the bigger thing because the vengeance, the vengeance, that sort of, that actually left me wanting. There could have been something really fun and interesting and it, it didn't. What about you? What did you think of the book? I think I struggled a bit with the author's writing style. Mm. Not that she wrote poorly, because I think she did really well. It just isn't like my favorite in that it's extremely, extremely descriptive. Yeah. I find that that makes me read a lot more slowly. And it's harder for me to get in that zone where it's like in my head playing like a movie or whatever. For I mean, plenty of people like a lot of description. I know Mm -hmm. you do. So it's not necessarily a bad thing at all. But for me personally, I kind of struggled with that a Mm -hmm. bit. I also wish that there had been a little bit more character building. I feel like this story was very action heavy. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it's hard for me to get like a really good understanding of the characters, I think, Mm -hmm. as well as I would like to have. I don't know. I personally felt I had a pretty good understanding of the characters. I think there could have been more time devoted to the development of their relationship from kind of the beginning to essentially when Bo gets injured. And just before then, kind of like he starts to show his his caring side, his B side. And that's nice because you could understand then why she would actually fall for him. I think that's what I mean. I think it's more about like okay. the couple time, the relationship growing. It it doesn't seem unrealistic really. It just also seems like a lot of it happens elsewhere. We don't get to see it. And part of that could be that this book is written in the third person. When you're reading a book that's in first person, then you're basically in that character's head, right? The yeah. one who's narrating. For better for worse, yeah. This book was third person. We still had a fairly omniscient narrator. I mean, we kind of knew what everyone was thinking, but it didn't seem as personal to me for some reason. I mean, that could be it. I don't necessarily have an issue with third person stories, really. So I don't know, but that could be part of it. Yeah, I could see that. It's also, it was just a very action-y book. 
you know, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It had a lot of action in it and a lot of it was piratey. So if you want a swashbuckling piratey on the high seas adventure, then yeah, I mean, for sure. I think it was well written. Yeah. I mean, she definitely wrote more like an ensemble. It felt like at times. So it wasn't, you're right, as focused on the couple, probably because third person and, and whatnot. But mm-hmm. I sort of liked that it wasn't. I know a lot of romance stories are told in the first person and a lot of times I wish they weren't. Yeah, maybe it could be that it was more of an ensemble cast. Maybe that's what I was, I don't know. It was an adventure heavy romance. Yeah, it was. Are you happy for their happy? I am happy for them. I'm happy for Bo and I hope he'll get better over time. (laughs) I have hope. I think, you know, we we talk often how you're willing to, like, give characters a lot of leeway. Oh, maybe they're not that bad or or whatever. And I tried to do this because pirate, right? Right. But I still kept going like, dude, you just had to threaten rape. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, really? (laughs) The awkward kiss was like, okay, whatever. Like, they're not into each other yet. And the consenty stuff was like, But I just, I couldn't, like, that <laughs> that threat, I couldn't let it go. I, I wanted to. I actively tried to, but it got under my skin, and I could not dig it out. Even with a stiletto knife, you can pull out that sliver? Alas, I do not have one readily available, <laughs> and my nails are not that sharp. <laughs> it seems like it's more of a historical romance thing. I think so, yeah. You can sort of see, like, there's more of a tolerance for it. Or I could see it in, like, an, an alien romance. Any more on their happiness that you would like to share? I think for me, I was happy for their happy. I think they were well-suited. I do, too. There are a lot of things that I did not like about the hero. But, I mean, given the setting, and it's a very violent world, Bo is very headstrong. She's not afraid of him at all. At no point is she really afraid of him. No, and I think it's also because she's very secure in her own skills. And I think that really helps a lot. I think that if we had the same hero with a more, I don't know, typical heroine, it wouldn't have done as well for me. Oh, oh yeah. (laughs) Like if it was the the scared duchess character. Exactly. That would have got uncomfortable real quick. (laughs) (laughs) So let's rate them. How do you rate Dante? I put that I wanted him to be awesome. (laughs) Because in so many ways, he's very pirate hero. And he gets better. Yeah. Does he scratch that itch? No. Mm. I I don't know. I don't know if it could, because I think a lot of historical romances just fall into that. I think he is a better version than some I have read, but... First impressions. I get misunderstandings. I get him using her well-being to leverage the things that he wants. Not just because he was a pirate, but because he was a desperate, vengeful, starved, thirsty dude. And like what you said, which I didn't think of it that way, but yeah, the whole like, you basically asked for this. I cannot consider... A character like that as awesome. Just not not here for the rapey objectification. Anyway, how would you rate our hero? I rated him fine. <laughs> he, he was fine. <laughs> he was a really good pirate. Like, yeah. in terms of piratiness, he was awesome. I was into so that. good pirate, bad man. In terms man. of love interest, less so. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, I mean, considering this is a romance book, he's fine. He's yeah. all right. He's a stereotypical romance hero. Yeah, like, I, th- eh. I think if this was more of an adventure book versus a romance book, I don't know if some of those consent, rape, things like that would have bothered me as much. I, I think that's true. I think, like, I go into a romance book looking for couple time and watching a relationship grow, you know, versus... Oh, he threatened a raper, but he didn't really mean it. (laughs) (laughs) It was an accident. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So how do you rate Bo? I thought she was awesome. I liked Bo. I I would have wanted more of Bo. Like, if the story had been geared towards that, I would have liked that. What about you? How did you rate Bo? I rated her awesome as well, and I agree with you that I wanted more Bo. In fact, one of the things that I would have really liked for this story, which would have changed the whole story, mind you, pretty dramatically, but you know how in the beginning we get introduced to Dante and we learn all about him? I wanted that to be Bo. Like, I would have liked the story to begin with Bo and have it be her story. Oh, yeah, I could see where it would be interesting, like, if it if it was more from her perspective especially initially you're out sailing and you come upon the ship do you believe the guy and then he threatens right yeah i could see where that would be a really interesting way to start the story plus you know maybe maybe she sees what the ship is called virago and she knows what that means i would have liked a little bit more from Bo initially i would have liked a little bit more of Bo in general i feel like we get a really good sense of who she is she's very strong empowered person I really appreciated that. She knows who she is. She goes for what she wants. She has her vulnerabilities, which were realistic, I think. I mean, everyone compares themselves to someone else at some point, Mm -hmm. you know? But it really did feel like it was Dante's story. Yeah. And I would have rather it was Bo's story because Bo was awesome and Dante was fine. Yeah, which happens a lot in romance, too. (laughs) Usually it's the hero that does all the things, right? Like he's the more active character. So it often feels more like it's his story. You almost need to have that balance. And a lot of romances, you have like chapter one is like her story or his story. And then chapter two is his and they... They go back and forth and you almost need that sometimes because the female characters are often so passive, whereas the male characters are allowed to go do things more. (laughs) That's one way that this uh, book really shone, I think, is that the female character was extremely active. She was allowed to be herself and do things, you know, and that was so awesome. And I really... I'm appreciative of the author for taking that step, especially in a historical. Yeah. How do you rate Bloodstone? He was a really good villain. He was. He was effective. Indeed. (laughs) Love to hate Mm -hmm. him. (laughs) One thing I really liked about Bloodstone, about the villain in this book, is that he had an agenda. There were parts where we were in his Mm -hmm. head. We got to know like what he wanted and what he was thinking It made him a more effective villain, I think. Yeah, I think it did. How do you rate him? I'd put him as awesome. Like, he's awesome at evil or awesome at villainy. Oh, yeah. Or antagonism. (laughs) I wish there was more instances of them interacting because you really just get the beginning of the book and the end of the book. Yeah, I understand, like, Dante's continual rage and pursuit is what makes Bloodstone feel like he's around because he's in Dante's head. I'm going to get that guy. Yeah. 
I don't think it'd be believable to have him show up earlier in the book. No. Because of the setting. It takes them weeks to get anywhere. Yeah, it's not like he can just pop in and on the high seas and be like, hello, here I am being bad. Bye. <laughs> I think it was just because he was so good I wanted more. I appreciate why that would be problematic and why it's actually better that he didn't. Yeah, the author did do a good job of keeping him prevalent. Yeah. Because again, you know, Dante's like, I'm going to get that guy. So how do you rate the book? I rated it a four. I really enjoyed it. What about you? I rated it three. I think the reason I rated it a three was because, like I mentioned earlier, it was just like the writing style isn't my fave. Um, So it was harder for me to get into it. That makes sense. But the story was good. And it was, I mean, it was well written. It just wasn't my style. Any book that has extremely descriptive passages, I kind of struggle to get into. So did you feel romanced? No, not really. Oh, no. I, I, again, I think it's because I just didn't really get into it. You know, I mean, it was swashbuckly and there was a lot of action. And I think that prevented me from feeling romanced. There wasn't enough couple time for me. What about you? Did you feel romanced? Oh, it's so tricky. Because I feel like the setting was romantic to me, and I was definitely romanced by the setting. There were times when, with Dante and with Bo, that I was moved toward romance, and then I'd remember his behavior, and I'd be like, motherfucker. (laughs) You were romance adjacent. (laughs) It was really tricky, because, like, they, I felt like they really had, like, good banter. Yeah, they were really passionate. They had good chemistry. Yeah. And then I'd remember what a fucktwat he was. And I'd be like, God damn it. (laughs) No forgiveness for you. (laughs) Yeah, no. I mean, that wouldn't shock you. You know me. There are just certain things. Like, I I fucking try, dude. (laughs) So what else have you been reading? So I just finished Miyazaki World by Susan Napier. So Napier points out, like, why Miyazaki favors things like post-apocalyptic worlds and children protagonists and how many of his female protagonists are quite feminist. Yeah, I would agree with that. It just, it's made me want to go rewatch, like, Spirited Away and other Miyazaki films because I'm like, oh, I never really thought about his work to that degree of, of depth. Which the more I think about it, like, someone who creates, like, animated stories, they literally can control everything. So their vision, whatever it is, yeah. is so controlled, can be so pure to what their intent was, theoretically. You find out about his childhood, his relationship with his parents, and how that influenced his work, how his family's position at the start of World War II influenced his guilt in childhood and then adulthood. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because it's his family essentially benefited from the war. They were in a position to escape a lot of the negative aspects, but he saw firsthand how his family didn't necessarily reach out in the way that he felt that they should. He carried carries with him like this, it seems like some sort of survivor's guilt. Yeah, it kind of sounds yeah. like it. So Erica, what have you been reading? I recently finished Cyborg Quarantine Bodyguard by Robin Lovett. Yay! This is the sequel to Alien Quarantine Rescue. I was just going to ask you if it was related to that one. (laughs) And so, if you didn't hear that episode, 
Um, this takes place on a world that has been beset with the B-Ronavirus. <laughs> and as a result, everyone is on strict quarantine to the point that they can't interact with other human beings at all. And that's a bad thing, right? <laughs> yeah, if two people hosting the virus interact, then the virus will mutate and that's what kills them. This has been going on for five years. Oh, uh-huh. And this is another person in the friend group from book one who needs to be saved because the world has has basically turned into a shithole because, That you know. is hard to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oopsie. It's been overtaken by, by essentially, like, I kind of picture them like biker gangs, but I think it's more like, you know, like a militia. Okay. They have bombs and helicopters and stuff. She gets sent a protector who is an alien who is also a cyborg because he belongs to a dying race and his body sucks. And so as parts of him fail, they get replaced with robot parts. He's able to upgrade himself? Yeah, it's not really an upgrade, but yeah. Oh, lateral move or? No, it is, but he doesn't feel like it is. Okay. You know? Like he'd rather have his original bits. be whole. <laughs> yeah. So, that was a weird way to put that, but yeah. Along with the story, he's able to give her antibodies. Yay. <laughs> with his penis. Well, it is. I'm not going to say that out loud. Okay. Moving on. His vibrating penis. Okay. That was also not what I was going to say, but it's good to include the information. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I really enjoyed this book a lot. It's just fun. It's got a good story. It's very tongue-in-cheek. I appreciate the the humor. Yay, humor. The characters are good. They have, like, I don't know, the alien in this book, he's... I mean, all the aliens in this series have like an ulterior motive because they need the human's DNA to heal themselves because they all have crappy DNA. Like they're all slowly dying. He doesn't want to force that decision on her. He doesn't want to like say, hey, I'm dying. Will you save me? You know? (laughs) How noble of him. It's sweet and fun. I'm glad you're enjoying. Highly recommend. Yay. (laughs) So that's it for this time. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. And don't forget, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify now. Oh my. Join us next time when we discuss The Right Swipe by Alicia Ray. Bye! Bye!